It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Welcome into another exciting episode of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jonathan Mayo, along with Jim Callis. Our fearless host, Jason Ratliff, is on a well-deserved vacation with his family right now. So we're going to try to muddle through best we can. And we have plenty to talk about. Our farm system re-rankings based on the top 100 and top 30 re-rankings we just put out uh, the previous week are now out. So we're going to talk about risers and fallers and trends that we see there. We're going to be joined by the farm director of one of the best, perhaps not the best, little teaser there, a farm systems all baseball. That's Matt Blood, the farm director of the Baltimore Orioles. We'll take a look at an initiative the Chicago White Sox uh, are embarking on called, well, informally called Project Birmingham. And of course, we'll answer your questions in the mailbag. James, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you doing, John? I'm doing all right. Uh, why don't we just just kick right into the the farm system rankings? Uh, because I think you know as much people love. I mean, people love all the lists that we do, but this is one I think that you know fans of teams like to sort of dig into a bit. You know, they look through all the lists and everything, but this is our attempt to make sense of all of it. Yeah. I was going to say, I think it's probably the most difficult list we do because you're comparing a couple hundred prospects in one organization to a couple hundred and 29 other organizations. And it's difficult to do like it's difficult to do with a great deal of precision. I always joke that if we could do this perfectly, we'd be making millions of dollars working for teams. Um, But, you know, it's as difficult as to do. It does get so much attention. you know, I feel like whenever the list comes out, there's one team that's like, "Hey, they got us in exactly the right spot," and there's 29 other teams who are like, "They have us wait, they have us too low. Like we're better than that," because um, everybody likes their own prospects. But uh, yeah, and it, 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 it unleashes everybody on Twitter. It's the same way. Fans of one team, these guys are the smartest guys in the world, and, and fans of 29 other teams are like, "Oh, they don't see how much talent we have." So it's 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 interesting how much uh, reaction it draws both within the game and, and, and from fans. We should just get you to pre-record that little tidbit about one 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 team is happy and the other 29 are not. Um, I've been using that one for years, yeah, Jonathan, and as what, you know. And it, it goes works. back to my, my days of Baseball America when we ranked one year. I can't remember what year it was now that we had the White Sox ranked as the number one farm system. And Kenny Williams was a farm director then. He's like, this means a lot. These guys, you know, they, they, they really know what they're doing. They put out this big press release. These guys spent a lot of time. This means a lot. It's a great honor. And then a few years later, and, and, and you know, they won a World Series. And, and, and Kenny aggressively traded prospects for pieces of that World Series team, which is fine. I mean, that, the farm system itself often happens. But, you know, a few years down the road, we had the White Sox ranked as the worst farm system in baseball. And Kenny Williams just killing baseball Merrick in the local papers. And I'm up here in Chicago. And they actually won. The Tribune called me for quotes. And I just said, 
hey, Kenny thought we were greatest, you know, evaluators in the world six years ago. I wonder what happened. But, uh, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, it's like people take this one personally too. It, it's interesting. They do, they do, and and it is it it it's so inex- all of what we do is inexact, obviously, and we do it to to generate debate, as we have said over and over again. And there were a couple. I did notice there were some some people on Twitter who were happy with jumps of their team, you know, so that this, this may be a year where there are a couple uh, of fans who actually didn't mind where their team was outside the number one team. And let me, let me break down the, the go, go through the top 10 from 10 to one, uh, the Chicago Cubs at 10, the Colorado Rockies at nine. We've got the Tampa Bay Rays at eight, the Pittsburgh Pirates at seven, the Texas Rangers at six, the uh, D-backs come in at number five. We've got the Reds up at, to number four. The Cleveland Guardians at three. The Dodgers at two. And the number one farm system, as I hinted, once again, the, the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, we're going we're gonna to talk quite a bit with, with Matt Blood, their farm director, about the Orioles, so we don't have to dig into it. But this is the third straight number one ranking for them. That's five in a row that they're in the top 10. And uh, here is another chance for you, Jim, to use something that you have talked about all the time. Uh, They're competing at the big league level, seemingly ahead of schedule. Yeah, I mean, there's two things we see historically with organizations that rank number one in terms of pharmacist rankings. We've only been doing this since 2015 at, at MLB Pipeline. But I did it for years at Baseball America. So even going back into the to the nineties, we saw this. One, more often than not, those teams wind up contending sooner than you'd expect. Like we weren't officially ranking farm systems before 2015, Jonathan, but my first full year was 2014. I remember we used to do the pipeline perspectives where we would take a topic and and sort of debate it in in print. Um and I think the Astros had the best farm system in 2014. And, you know, they contended in 2015. The Cubs had our best farm system when we did our first rankings. We did a top 10 back then in, in the beginning of 2015. And they wound up contending that year ahead of schedule. You know, we saw it with the Brewers, uh, you know, and, and so on and so on. You can go back into the 90s. You, you see that. And I think the other thing you see is that as difficult as this is to do, the teams that rank number one, usually do pretty well. Like, like usually there's a correlation. And in fact, Jonathan, the first five rankings we did of, you know, starting at the preseason 2015, we've done them twice a year. Four of those teams have won the World Series since then. That was the Cubs, the Red Sox, the Dodgers, and the Braves. We've had the Brewers, who were the only team that ranked in the top, number one in those first five. They haven't won a World Series but they've gone to playoffs for four years in a row, which is a franchise record, and they're shooting for their fifth. And, and if you look at our other teams, the White Sox have made back-to-back playoff appearances for the first time in franchise history. The Padres are, are trying to make the playoffs. They're on course to do it for the second time in three years, which they've only done twice in their 54-year history before that. The Rays, who were number one three times in a row, got to the World Series. They're going to make the playoffs for the fourth year in a row probably. Um, so this is all very good. <laughs> if I was an Orioles fan, yeah, after you heard me talk about how difficult it is to do these rankings and you can't do it with a degree of precision, when we identify the number one farm system, that, that team usually wins and wins pretty quickly. Yeah, so whether that happens this year, we'll have to wait and see. You know, it, it is interesting to kind of look at it in conjunction with the competitive competitiveness of the division. 
Uh, you, you look at what the Rays have been able to do and now what the Orioles are close to doing in, in, in a division where you have teams who spend a lot of money at the major league level, uh, you, you know, that, that in some ways makes it more impressive. The Rays in the top 10 for the 12th straight ranking. And, you know, you, you mentioned those teams who have been at the top, whether it was you know, in our rankings or before, you know, uh, when you were at Baseball America, it usually happens in cycles, right? The White Sox went in. You go back to the Kansas City Royals. They they won it all. They kind of went all in and cashed in a lot of their prospect chips and trades. Uh, and and then the system thins out. It is very difficult to win consistently and maintain a strong farm system. The Rays have managed to do that lately. The Los Angeles Dodgers have managed to do that recently. And I think a team that's kind of on the cusp of being there, and I feel like the last couple of years, Jim, uh, you especially because you do the Cleveland Guardians top 30, have been talking about, like, this is becoming a sneaky good farm system. Well, they are in the top 10 for the first time since we started ranking systems in 2015 where does that put them in terms of you know the their organization with some of the other teams in that AL Central? Yeah, I mean, I it's interesting. I mean, you know, as Guardians fans know, they've kind of reduced payroll um, and, and tried to do more with less in terms of spending at the big league level. And, and the farm system, I, I think, is you know they've had a lot of success with taking guys, you know. The two things they do really, really well, two of the things they do really well, really well are signing and developing young hitters and then helping pitchers take their stuff to the next level. And I think in the big leagues, the two guys who are the best examples of that are Jose Ramirez and Shane Bieber. You know, they, they've got the five top 100 prospects. All those guys fall in those categories. Daniel Spino, Gavin Williams on the pitching side, George Valera, Brian Rocchio, Bo Naylor on the, on the hitting side. Um and they've got more behind those guys coming too. And, it, and the, the thing that was interesting was I was looking at our farm system rankings is their system, I think, stands out more in their division than anybody else's. I mean, if you look at the AL Central, you've got the Guardians at three and then working your way up from the bottom. The White Sox system is improving, but they're still 26th in, in baseball. The Twins are 23. The Tigers are 22. The Royals are 21. So the Guardians are in a position where, in terms of young talent, you know, at this moment, they have a significant advantage over the rest of their division. And so many of their best prospects are on the verge of the big leagues. Uh, you know, if you look just at guys who are, you know, at the top of our top 30 list, it go, you know, Daniel Spino's in double A, Valera's in triple A, Gavin Williams in double A, Rokio's in triple A, Naylor's in triple A, Nolan Jones just got sent down to triple A. Okay, Chase DeLotter, they just drafted. But after him, you got Tanner Bybee in AA, Logan Allen in AAA, Tyler Freeman's in the big leagues, Gabriel Arias is in AAA, Angel Martinez is in AA, and Xavier Curry is in AAA. That's 12 of their top 13 guys are in AA or higher. So I, I think we're going to see a bunch of young talent in Cleveland in the next year or two. And they also could be pretty aggressive about trading young talent for more established talent if they want to go that route. Yeah, that's always a sign. Once you start getting that pool of talent at the upper levels and it creates you know, good competition and a little bit of a logjam, uh, that, that, that does mean they're in a good spot. And to your point uh, about comparing them to 
the other teams, you know, in the division, you know, we kind of did a, a prospect points, which we've done for the top 100, by no means scientific, but if you're, you know, the, the number one, in this case, you're the, well, for the top 100 prospects, the number one prospect gets 100 points, number 299 and on down, and we come up with the total points for each organization. Doing it by farm system rankings by division, if you're the number one farm system, you get 30 points and on down. The AL Central finishes fourth with just 60 points. Now, the AL East is at the top. We mentioned the Rays and, and the Orioles uh, with 103. That NL Central is next at 102, followed by the NL West, then the AL Central, the NL East, and the AL West uh, is, is at the bottom. Uh, you know, some of that is because the Seattle Mariners, which helped the ALS probably be much higher, obviously it's cashed in a lot of chips as they are competing right now. And they were a very strong farm system that has taken a, a, a drop down. Uh, other teams that have made moves, we went through the top 10. The Cubs and the Rockies are both in the top 10 for the first time in a long time. Both of them made pretty high jumps. Uh, the Cubs went from 18 to 10, Jim. I know they're your team. Uh, they've been sort of in that rebuild mode. They kind of flipped the switch. Uh, and it seems that they're, based on these rankings anyway, doing a pretty good job of helping to restock. Yeah, they have. Um, and, I, you know, with the Cubs, what, what's interesting is a lot of their best prospects have really come in in the last 13 months or so. I mean, just you know, going from the top of their list, Pete Crow Armstrong was a 2021 trade deadline guy for Javi Baez. Brennan Davis was a holdover. Kevin Alcantara came in last year's Anthony Rizzo trade. They drafted Kate Horton in the first round this year, Jordan Wicks in the first round last year. Christian Hernandez, they signed in January 21. They traded for Ben Brown this year with David Robertson with the Phillies. They drafted Jackson Ferris. They got Alexander Canario and Caleb Killian in the Chris Bryant trade last year. Um, they drafted James Triantos last year. They just traded for Hayden Wisniewski for Scott Efros. Um, you know, they've imported a lot of their best prospects in the last, you know, 13 months or so. I, I, I was going to ask you the same question, Jonathan. The two teams that made the biggest jump on here were the Rockies going from 24 to 9 and the Reds going from 15 to 4. And, and it feels – you cover both those organizations, Jonathan. The Reds did it with a lot of trades. That really helped. I mean, they've, they've drafted well as well. Whereas the Rockies, it's more just been – kind of, you know, drafting and international and developing guys, right? Yep. Yeah, they've done it in, in different ways. You know, the the Reds, as you mentioned, you know, bringing in Noel V. Marte and Edwin Arroyo, uh, the, the trade with the, the Mariners, you, know, you had two top 100 guys, you know, potential on the dirt, maybe up the middle players. Uh, that and the emergence of Ellie De La Cruz as one of the better prospects in all of baseball have has helped along with some some strong drafts. And you know they they had cracked the top ten uh, a year ago. We're still upper half, uh, and this was a, a large jump uh, because of those additions. They added Cam Collier and uh, this year's draft. Well, the Rockies, you know, it was interesting because when I was doing the re rank, there were a number of years where uh, you've had systems like this where. It, it gets a little tough to find 30 guys to rank or at least 30 guys who sound interesting could be big leaguers. And I was finding like, wow, you know, the Rockies are a lot more interesting. They had a bunch of guys really step up and perform more than anything else. They, you know, they, they've 
drafted well. They had a, a strong draft class this last year, six from our, our top 100 of our draft rankings. And I think, you know, that, um, that added a lot of depth. But at the top, you know, they entered the season with Zach Veen as their only top 100 guy, as their, you know, 2020 first-round pick. Well, over the course of the year, Ezekiel Tovar, Adele Amador, Amador and Drew Romo all joined the, the top 100. They're still all there. Tovar is now in the top 30. Uh, you know, you have Tovar and Amador both uh, as interesting up the middle players. So a combination of the draft and Veen and Romo and Tovar and Amador, uh, like, so it's really just guys taking steps forward uh, as much of anything else. Now, the flip side, you know, we, we don't, we don't like to be too negative here, but there are guys, there are teams that have kind of jumped down. I know for you, Jim, the Marlins went from six to 16. That's a drop of, of, of 10. Uh, I've already mentioned, uh, the, the Mariners who, who made quite a, a, a drop down largely because of that, that trade <laughs> with the, with the Reds. Um, they went from two to 24. Now, Julio Rodriguez, George Kirby, uh, you know, graduated. Um, you know, Matt Brash was also top 100. He graduated and then they traded, uh, you know, some of those top 100 guys in that, in the Luis Castillo deal. So that's, a, that's the reason why they made uh, as much of a, a for it correlates with them trying to win at the big league level. Anything you want to add uh, about the Marlins or, or another organization that's kind of, uh, took a, a little bit of a tumble in this re-rank. Well, the the, Marlin, the the Mariners were the biggest drop, and then you had the yep. Royals down 13 spots and the Tigers down 12 spots. But I, I think it also points that the Potters are down 11 spots. Yeah, and, and and all those organizations, you know, it shows how how these rankings, I think, more than any other rankings, too, are a snapshot of this particular moment in time. You know, the the Royals, Bobby Wood Jr. graduated, and they've had other guys graduate. The Padres just went all in and traded, you know, their, the, no, what, what was left of their farm system to get Juan Soto. Uh, you know, the Tigers had two of our top five prospects come into the season, and Riley Green or Spencer Torkelson. And when those guys disappear, your system's going to take hit. That's why it's impressive. Like we said earlier, the Orioles lost Adley Rutschman, who I think is the best catching prospect of the last 30 years. And he's graduated the big leagues to become essentially the best catcher in the big leagues. I think you can make that case right now. And the Orioles still are number one. That's unusual. That's why you see a lot of you know peaks and valleys because generally as you build the farm system up, your big league team gets better. Then you start winning. Then you start, instead of acquiring a, acquiring prospect, you're trading him to help the big league club. And at the same time, if you're winning, you're picking lower in the draft. You have less money to spend internationally. And so it kind of cycles back and forth. So, uh, you know, it's when I was at Baseball America, it was kind of a counterpoint. We would do... The last few years I was there, I would do a, a ranking when we did our organization rankings to show what systems had produced in the last, I think it was two or three years. And you would often see that the systems that currently ranked toward the bottom of the organization rankings oftentimes ranked among the best organizations in what had come through the system in the last two or three years. So, um, you know, it, look, if I'm a Mariners fan, yeah, okay, we've we've fallen from two to twenty-four. And, and and yeah, I'd love to see my farm system ranked higher. But if I'm a Mariners fan, like right now, my team, you know, looks like it's going to the playoffs. You know, I'm pretty happy Julio Rodriguez. I'd rather have Julio Rodriguez doing Julio Rodriguez things and, and George Kirby in the big leagues than then propping up my farm system rankings. So if exactly. I'm a Mariners fan, Mariners fan, yeah, okay, we dropped twenty-two spots. 
I'm still pretty happy with, with the way things are going baseball-wise for my favorite organization there. And the one thing that this you know, these rankings do not reflect, because we are only looking at the farm system, to your point, Jim, is that if you're young at the big league level and competing, that still bodes well for the overall health of your organization. You know, the, the Mariners have a chance to be good for a while because they've gotten these guys who have graduated and that, even if they can't sign them all long term, let's just say financially, that's not a reality. They have control of these players in the big leagues for, for a while. This is, this window is going to be open for, for, for some time. And it doesn't mean there isn't talent who, who's going to make it to the big leagues, you know, but we don't, we aren't able to take into account things like that. Case in point, you know, the Nationals didn't really make a move in the farm system rankings, even though they brought in quite a bit of talent in the Juan Soto trade. Much of that talent had already graduated from prospect lists. So it's not reflected that they have, uh, you know, guys like Mackenzie Gore, who is no longer a prospect in the big leagues. You know, so uh, I, I think you have to sort of take all that into account. You see on Twitter, uh, you know, fans complaining, as you pointed out, like, oh, they've already, they've always ranked this team low for a long time. Just because your farm system is ranked low doesn't mean you don't get teams to the, to the big leagues. I think the Cardinals are a great example of that. They're on the rise now and kind of moving towards the top 10. They've never ranked in the top 10, but they always get guys to the big leagues who, who contribute. So just because we don't have them ranked high doesn't mean we don't see that they're able to uh, produce big leaguers. Well, I mean, it, it, again, you know, we talked about the Astros that, you know, I, I think if we'd ranked prospects, if we'd ranked farm systems 2014, the Astros would have been number one. Since we've gone to 30 deep, which we've only started at the beginning of the 2020 preseason that we ranked all 30 organizations, the Astros have ranked 28th, 27th, 29th, 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 and 29th. Um, at the same time, they've played in five straight national, I mean, five, national league, five straight American League Championship Series, uh, you know, gone to two World Series, won one. And they continue to bring up guys like Christian Javier and Luis Garcia and Chaz McCormick, who are never that heralded, who wind up being major contributors. You know, Jeremy Pena, who was a third-round pick, he fills in for Carlos Correa. You know, their best prospect is a fifth-round pick named Hunter Brown, who's tearing up AAA and will probably be in the big league soon. So, yeah, it, you know, again, like I said, there's, there's, there's fans and, and teams of, of 29 of the 30 organizations feel like they're too low. But just because you're ranked low doesn't mean that you know, the organization doesn't know what they're doing or they're not. You know, the Astros, I do our Astros list and they always kind of chuckle about with me and I'll probably get a text now that the rankings came out last night, like, hey, 29th again, you know, and, you know, like kind of with a emoji or something. And it's like I always, you know, and they know, like we respect the Astros and they do a good job. You know, they have one top 100 guy and that's not the only criteria, but, you know, they aren't as deep as some other organizations, but. They keep producing players who help them, you know, get to the ALCS every year. So they, they're doing a good job too, even if our rankings don't don't reflect that. Absolutely. All right, uh, people can continue to dig in to our farm system rankings at MLB Pipeline. Uh, go check them out. Let us know how you feel on Twitter. We know you will. When we come back, we'll be joined by the farm director of the one team that is very happy with our rankings. That's the Baltimore Orioles and their farm director, Matt Blood, will be joining us right after this. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. 
And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline podcast. We just talked about the top farm systems in all of baseball. Of course, the Orioles at the top once again. And uh, we're pleased to have with us now the the man who oversees that number one farm system, Orioles farm director, Matt Blood. Matt, welcome to the Pipeline Podcast. Thanks for taking some time out. Hi, guys. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, this is exciting. Obviously, you know, the, the goal is to have a good big league team. Uh, but to, in order to do that, I think you know, it's, uh, it's been shown you need a strong farm system. This is now the third ranking in a row that we've done where we've had you guys in that top spot is there you know is there a certain amount of pride uh that you the player development staff you know gm michael ice takes from 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 being in that top spot especially given where the farm system was when this team came in you know i i think it's great obviously you know for for the org to have this amount of talent you know i think it's really a sign that all systems are running, you know, at, uh, at, at high, at a high level, you know, our, our player development system with our coaches and our staff, you know, we feel like uh, are, are doing a good job helping the players get better and preparing them for the major leagues. But there's also the component of the player acquisition side, which, uh, you know, Mike Elias and, and all, all of our scouts and the people, the analytics people in the front office have done so so wonderfully well and in, in finding great players that fit our system either you know via the draft or, or via trade or the waiver wire as you'll see in our major league teams so it's really you know the whole system working well together not just one piece and I, I think that's what you're seeing with multiple years in a row of, of a number one farm system even when a player like Adley Rutschman graduates you know there's more that come in right behind him and uh, that's that's nice to see. Yeah, I was going to say, Matt, you know, to have somebody like Adley, who I think is the best catching prospect I've seen in 30 years of, of covering this stuff, graduate to the big leagues, and yet the organization still ranks as the most talented farm system is really a testament to how much depth you guys have, depth and star talent. You know, Adley was obviously the number one overall pick. You've replaced him with this year's number one overall pick, not directly, but but imported you know Jackson Holiday into the farm system. I know Jackson has been under contract, I guess, for roughly a month. What have you seen out of him so far, and what are the early impressions on him? Jackson is he's a baseball rat. Uh, he's been around the game his whole life. Uh, he he's just advanced, you know, far beyond most high school players I've ever seen. 
uh, and I've actually been able to see a decent amount of them. And he uh, he's right at the top when it comes to ability and uh, makeup for the game of baseball. And you know he's he's been dropped into the FCL and um, has played has played really really well and is doing things that you don't normally see a a freshly drafted high school player do. Uh, and that's that's really exciting for everybody. Yeah, Matt, I, I wanted to ask you about the guy who's now uh, atop your your list. Uh, I, I guess he's the other guy that sort of quote unquote replaced Adley Rushman just in terms of being your your top ranked prospect, and that's now Gunnar Henderson. And uh, I will say that you know, as someone who has overseen the 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 Orioles top thirty for a while, you you've been telling me about Gunnar Henderson for quite some time. I think probably really starting back from the alt site when he was the youngest player there and really holding his own. Uh, he has not missed a beat uh, as he's moved up, obviously now knocking on the door. When when we first started talking about him, obviously the athleticism, the size, you know, the, the raw tools were so impressive. What have you seen in his maturation where he's now clearly able to tap into those tools consistently at the highest levels of the minors. You, you mentioned the word maturation. You know, he just turned 21. Uh, and I don't think that he has faced a pitcher this year that is younger than him. And my point being that the maturation is still very much ongoing. I mean, he's, he's crazy young and still has a lot of improving to do. But the thing that's so special about him is on top of the raw – physicality and athleticism and tools that he has he has a fiercely competitive makeup about his practice and his game and I would say that is what has separated him from others who you know have some of the the abilities that that he has uh you know we he has taken advantage of the coaching and the practice environments that our coaches have put in front of him probably better than anyone. He attacks them uh, full steam ahead. He, he wants challenges whenever he faces, like at the alternate site, it was kind of the first time we saw this. He was getting exposed to 4A, AAA play, pitchers and for a little while was, was getting beat up pretty good by them, which he should have been. He was, I think, 18 years old at the time. Uh, but for him, it was a, come on, bring, bring it on. You know, I want to see more of this. It's going to make me better versus running away from those challenges. And he's just done that ever since we've known him and he just gets better and better and better. And that's why like pushing him to triple a as a 20 year old was not, was not scary uh, to us because it, it's actually what helps him uh, learn the best as is being exposed to, to major challenges. So I, I would say that's, that's what has helped him go from being a talented player to, you know, one of the, the top prospects in, in the game. Matt, you mentioned how the organization's kind of clicking on all cylinders in terms of development and also acquisition, whether it's the draft or trades or internationally. I wanted to ask you a little bit about some of the pitchers you guys just got at the trade deadline. If you look at our top 30 prospects list, Eight of the top 10 guys on that list are position players, and the two pitchers are both pretty good, Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall, but there are eight hitters among those top 10. But at the trade deadline, you guys added Seth Johnson, who 
obviously hasn't pitched yet because he had Tommy John surgery, Chase McDermott, Cade Povich, and some others. Can you talk a little bit about about the pitching you guys added at, at the deadline? Yeah, I mean, these guys are uh, are impressive so far from what we've seen, even even the, the two young Latin American pitchers uh, that we, we were able to, to acquire. They've both pitched well so far. But, you know, I, I think Povich and Johnson – and, and McDermott, you know, they're obviously more more advanced, higher higher level guys, and it, it's what our our system needs. You know, there's there's different ways to acquire players. You know, whether it's the draft or trade or waiver wire. And I think you know Mike uh, Elias and, and the team have shown that you know we're we're very capable in using all those avenues to uh, bolster you know the depth within our our system. And we we very much welcome uh, those pitchers. And as you saw, we moved. We moved Povich and McDermott up to double A pretty quickly and we want to challenge those guys and feel like they got a nice a nice future within our organization. Joined by Matt Blood, the Orioles farm director for a few more minutes uh, to talk about the number one farm system in all of baseball. And, and Matt, you, you, you've mentioned now a couple of times sort of using all avenues and, and that's something that wasn't always the case in Baltimore. And one of the, the key priorities when Michael Elias came in was to kind of reestablish a presence in Latin America. Uh, you haven't gotten any of those guys to sort of top 100 status yet. I mean, it's relatively recent that you know, you, you've gone aggressively after kind of high-end talent. Uh, but a, a guy like Samuel Basayo, who is now number 13, uh, you know, the, the catcher, uh, and there's some other guys uh, who are dotting throughout your top 30. And you know, when, we, when we do these rankings, as Jim pointed out, it's kind of about top-end talent, and depth. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the excitement of seeing some of these guys, you know, some of them are just kind of coming stateside and, and establishing themselves at the lower levels of your system now. And that's something that the Orioles didn't have for a lot of years. Correct. We've had to build it essentially from scratch. Uh, and that's everything. And we're building a new academy. Uh, we've, we've hired, you know, different coaches or moved coaches to new levels where, we needed to best accommodate uh, this this uh, new, I guess you could call it, uh, wave of or type of player. And if you look at our our Delmarva roster for the mo- for most of this season, uh, it was it was full of of young Latin American players, kind of for the first time in in uh, Orioles history. And then Florida, the, the the same thing. And so you know we're we're just on the pre- precipice of this. I, I think that. You know, in the next year or two, you'll see more Latin American players start creeping their way up to high A and double A and then hopefully, you know, triple A and then the big league. So, you know, right now we've got them them just getting into full season baseball. And guys like Basayo, Basayo's been, he's been great this year uh, and is, is really um, matured in a lot of ways. And he's another guy with high aptitude and skills. So we're excited about him. Uh, and, you know, this player in, in Delmarva right now, uh, Frederick Bencosme, who's a young 19-year-old shortstop with uh, elite bat-to-ball skills, uh, very versatile guy. And, you know, he was playing in the DSL last year. So, you know, he's made, he's made a nice rise. And so we're, we're excited about him. But the more of those type players uh, that, that we can have, you know, pop-up's not a good word, but that, that can arise – you know, in the system, the more depth we have and the more options we have for, you know, the major league team. Matt, I wanted to ask you about 
Heston Kerstad, who who seems like he gets lost in the shuffle a little bit, not by you guys, but just with all the talent in the organization. You know, number two overall pick in the in the 2020 draft. Great college career at Arkansas. You know, tremendous power hitter. And because he, you know, came down with myocarditis, he didn't get to make his pro debut till you know basically two years after you drafted him. Um, it just what have you seen out of him this year? And it, it's been heartening to see him on the field and actually having success after having to wait two years to get going. Well, you just said it. I mean, it's been it's been a huge win for him to be able to play just about every single day, you know, at a, at a full season level. And, and that was, that was the main goal this year uh, for him. I mean, it was just really, really unfortunate bad luck in his career that he basically had to put like you said, a two year pause on his development. And uh, now he's playing and he, he dominated low a, which was nice to see. And, and he's jumped up to high a and he's acclimating there. And our, our hope is, you know, that he can, stay healthy and, and keep trying to recoup that, that learning curve that he unfortunately got behind on. Uh, but, you know, nobody's given up on this kid. He's a fantastic kid, uh, works hard, and he's got, like you said, real, real power and baseball, baseball skills. So, uh, you know, I, would, I wouldn't be surprised uh, to, to see him, you know, in the upper levels next year and then hopefully, you know, helping the major league team in the future. Matt, no, no farm director will ever say, okay, we have enough talent, we're good. So I know the answer to the, the question is like, we can, you know, always need more. You know, we're, we're, we're spending most of this interview extolling the, uh, the depth and the talent and things like that. But where are some areas that you see, uh, the, the, the need for that, that more? I know Jim mentioned, you know, the, the, the top part of our, your top 30 is very position player, uh, heavy. You added some pitching via the, the trade deadline, but, what were some areas where you'd like to see continued steps forward to to help keep your farm system, you know, at or at least close to the the top of rankings like these? Well, you can never have enough up the middle players, and you can never have enough starting pitching. You know, I mean, that's just a baseball truism, I guess. But uh, you know, that's what we target. That's what we try to develop, and uh, we we want more. You know, whenever whenever they made the trades, we were excited. Whenever we drafted. The players we drafted this year, we were excited because it, it just adds more depth and more competition. And, and that, that really is what this is all about. You know, when, when I first got here to the Orioles, the depth and competition was, was pretty weak. Uh, and now it's, it's fierce, you know, throughout the entire system. I mean, we have good players who are having a hard time getting reps and at-bats because there are just other players that are better. Uh, and that's really where you want to be, and we want to keep keep that keep that rolling, you know, because ultimately we want to keep graduating guys to the major leagues uh, to help the, the Orioles, you know, win a World Series. Yeah, quick quick follow up on on that because you talk about the up the middle players, and uh, you know we've talked about Gunnar Henderson, and I think you guys have done a nice job of. Uh, you know, he and, and Jordan Westberg kind of coming up together, moving around a little bit. I, I think, and I think we even had a question, uh, you know, on Twitter about this. And you don't have to make this decision yet, but you've got Gunnar Henderson, and now you've got Jackson Holiday. You've also got Jordan Westberg, who I think most people figured probably wouldn't end up being the shortstop of that group. Anyway, you know, good problem to have, yes. How do you see that shaking out, in, you know, down the road? Well, you forgot two other names. You forgot Jorge Mateo, who 
uh, is turning into a, a fantastic player. Uh, and then we've got Joey Ortiz, right. who's who's a very good shortstop and is having a, a nice uh, year in double A. So, you know, there's all these players that are competing for that shortstop spot. But ultimately, you know, we want their bats in the lineup. And that's why you see the way that we uh, move players around during during the week. You know, they Gunner now has played this season first, second, short, and third. And Westberg has played second, short, and third. So if, if they are brought up to the major leagues, then wherever Brandon Hyde needs them that night, they can say, you got it, Skip. I'll go. I'm ready. You know, so they don't have to be exact shortstops. If we have uh, a well above average defensive shortstop in, in Mateo, and that's that's sort of our philosophy when it comes to the development of these guys. Matt, I'm going to put you on the, the spot a little bit here, but, you know, Jonathan kind of alluded to this. I mean, you've been telling us about Gunnar Henderson, who, you know, we had on our draft list coming out of high school too. Like, hey, this guy needs to get on your top 100 prospects list. He's going to be pretty good. Who's a guy that maybe isn't getting as much attention as he deserves either in terms of being on a top 100 prospects list or somebody lower in the system who could make a big jump in the next year or so? Oh, man. Uh, good question. I mean, I've, I've always thought Joey Ortiz is one of our, is one of our least um, heralded guys. And, you know, his defense is just so good. You know, he had that shoulder injury last year. Before the shoulder injury, his, his bat was, had made huge improvements. And he came back this year, started the season, and I honestly believe that the shoulder injury was still a thing that was holding him down for the first couple of months and then sort of got through that, made a couple of adjustments, and is hit like 15 home runs in two months and is playing fantastic for them. So I've always, I've always felt like he's a guy that's underrated. And whether he's top 100 or not, I, you know, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think I can argue that, but he's, a, he's a, just a really good player. Uh, if, if you want to talk about some of the younger guys, you know, I, I think Kobe Mayo has has skills that uh, are are going to play, and he's just young and still growing into his body. Uh, it's you know, genetic. Yeah, it's genetic, exactly. And he, you know, he, he's he's being challenged in Double A, which is what we want, which is what we wanted. And you know, ne- next year I think could be a pretty big year uh, for him. And then from this draft, we just had. Uh, a, a guy that we're pretty excited about, you know, he wasn't the first or second pick, uh, is, is Judd Fabian. Uh, you know, it's a guy that we've kind of targeted for a couple years, to be honest, uh, who's a, a true center fielder with legitimate power and just needed uh, a little help with approach and, and his, his, his strike zone discipline, essentially. And, uh, you know, we're hoping to see him take off, which he's off to a great start in low A. But uh, we, we feel like in our system, he's a guy that uh, – that could blossom. All right, Matt, uh, before we let you go, you know, one thing that uh, you know, Jim uh, has often pointed out correctly is that is often the case when teams kind of go through a, a rebuilding, uh, they end up being competitive somewhat ahead of schedule, at least you know w- what external people think is ahead of schedule. Right now, it seems like the big league team very much in contending for a wild card. We'll see what happens down the stretch. This seems ahead of schedule to us. Uh, is it ahead of schedule for, for you? And, and how much are you enjoying it, even if it's you know, right when you thought it was going to be? Well, again, I think that the, the way the Major League team is playing is a testament to the processes that Elias has put in place. We have acquired players 
you know, through the draft, obviously through some trades, but through the waiver wire. And then we have helped them uh, become as good as they can be. You know, Mateo was a waiver wire, wire claim. Arias was a waiver wire claim. You know, most of our bullpen and some of our starting pitchers who were pitching well were all waiver wire claims. And so they were identified as, as players that we could acquire for, you know, very, very low cost. And then we've got the coaches in place and the systems in place to help those players utilize their stuff. I mean, Austin Vogt's a great example of this. Uh, and utilize their skills to be successful in, in the major leagues. And through that, we've become more competitive than I think uh, was expected. Uh, and then what, what was expected was the development of the prospects that we've drafted or acquired and, uh, you know, have now built a, a pretty good farm system. And when you combine that with really good processes at the major league level, uh, then you you've got a healthy a healthy organization, and that's really a testament to Mike uh, and what he's what he's put together, you know, throughout our entire organization. Because it seems like they're all we're all hitting, clicking on all cylinders, and you're seeing you're seeing us, us succeed. So whether it's ahead of schedule or not, I I don't know, but it is it is fun to see the team playing well, and it's fun to see that we've got some really good players ready to be called up at some point and we've got some money to spend in the off season because right now our our uh, our major league payroll is pretty low so all those things combined uh make you feel excited and make you feel like we're in a healthy spot all right that's excellent matt uh thank you so much for your time we'll let you get back for your time we'll let you get back to it good luck the rest of the way both at the big league level and of course all the way down and i know jim and i look forward to to seeing some of uh your great prospects out in the Arizona Fall League in a bit, and of course, uh, into next year and beyond. Thanks so much for your time. Absolutely, guys. It was great. All right, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, uh, we're going to talk about Project Birmingham and the White Sox organization and answer your questions in the mailbag coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline podcast. Jonathan Mayo along with Jim Callis. Uh, Interesting thing happening in the White Sox organization uh, that I think we want to sort of dig into a little bit. I think it's a really good idea. 
shows you that you can, you know, uh, another organization that is not been highly ranked in quite some time, uh, you know, since they had one of the better farm systems in baseball that they're, you know, they're trying to, to, to compete more regularly now. Uh, they're up from 30 to, to 26, but they've created something uh, that is a, an interesting model, I think, in terms of challenging players uh, by moving them up. Chris Getz, their, their, their farm director, has dubbed it, at least unofficially, Project Birmingham. Um, they don't have an official title for it, but this is basically how it works. Uh, they are moving uh, a bunch of players, a pool of top prospects who were with single A Kannapolis and high A Winston-Salem, moving them up to Birmingham's roster for, for the rest of the season. Now, Jim, this goes beyond just, oh, a couple guys earning a, a late promotion. This is a whole pool of players, almost like a super instructional league on steroids to give them a chance to learn at a higher level, compete at a higher level. What, what do you think about this whole idea of bringing some of these guys, a group led by their, their top 100 prospect, Colson Montgomery? No, I, I really like it a lot. I, I think it's, it's interesting. Uh, you know, ideally, you know, if you get, I, the goal is, I mean, in the end, you're hoping that all your best prospects are going to be in the big leagues together. So this gets guys who are kind of a variety of ages you know, all together at the same level, you know, it, it makes sense. They're not going to touch the triple A team. You know, their big league team is, is in the playoff race in case the big league team needs something. You don't want to be messing with the triple A roster, but you know, the double A, like the younger guys, the youngest guys, probably Colson Montgomery or one of the youngest guys, you know, Brian Ramos is pretty young too. You know, th- they've played well in high A, they're going to go to double A next year. So it's not like you're, you're, you're making a big stretch here, but I really like the idea of, of letting these guys develop together, bringing a bunch of your instructors together. You know, it, you mentioned instructional league, but this is this is like instructional league where you're theoretically still trying to win games. You're playing double A competition. Um, you know, I haven't checked the the Southern League standings to see where Birmingham is in the playoff race, but I, I I'd be thrilled if I'm a White Sox fan and I'm living in Birmingham that I can get White so- you know this one stop shopping and I can see. You know, Colson Montgomery, I can see Oscar Colas is already in Birmingham. Brian Ramos is coming up. Norhe Vera is coming up. Jose Rodriguez is already there. Sean Burke's already there. Uh, you know, so, you know, Jerry Kelly, you know, Andrew Dahlquist, Wes Calf, like, you know, Cole Seamus, so many of their, their best prospects. You know, I, I haven't counted it. I haven't looked at the roster today as we record this. They might have something like, they might have more than half of the top 30 prospects all on that Birmingham roster. Um, so I, I think it's a, it's a really intriguing development idea. Um, I think, you know, it's interesting too. You, you, again, you, Jonathan, you mentioned the instructional league thing. Some of these guys, especially the pitchers might hit their innings limit, you know, and, and you're not necessarily going to send them to instructional league. Um, and this is getting them like a test. Yeah. You know, like, like another learning experience before the season ends. I, I'm really intrigued. I, I can't wait to see what the roster looks like tonight in Birmingham to see exactly how many of their top 30 guys are there. Yeah, it's there's so many things about it that I think are so intriguing. Cause you don't know, there's no harm, right? If some of these young, super young guys jump from Kannapolis uh, or, or even Winston-Salem and don't perform all that well and go back to Winston-Salem next year, there's literally no harm in that. 
what you're doing is you're getting them a taste of what the speed of the game looks like at double A. Yeah, we we I feel like we've been talking a lot about sort of the our, the truisms and axioms that we use all the time, but that jump to double A, people often say is is the hardest one to make. And this is at least giving them a glimpse. And you never know which one of these guys are gonna just take to it very well. And then suddenly you have guys who are a little bit ahead of the curve developmentally and now are young for their level, which is I think what you always want as you're trying to grow a farm system. And then like another byproduct of this that, you know, most of the focus is going to be on those guys getting that taste in, in, in Birmingham. And by the way, they're, they're not really in the playoff race. I just checked their, their, their standings. They, they might make a, a second half run, but that's neither here there. You're now going to give the chance to guys who were just drafted or playing in, in, in the Arizona complex league, a taste of full season ball where they wouldn't have necessarily had the opportunity or the roster space in Kannapolis or Winston-Salem. So it moves those guys up a little bit as well, which is kind of like a, a bonus to what they're trying to do in Birmingham. No, I hadn't thought about that. That's a good point. And, and, and it just helps you prepare for next year, too. Like with, with Colson Montgomery and Brian Ramos, who are both having fine seasons in high A, who are both 20 years old, who both will definitely, you know, barring some shocking development, be in double A next year, instead of getting to double A next year and then figuring out, like you talked about, like I, I agree with you. I do think that's the biggest jump from one level to another in the minors. Having to figure out, okay, what kind of adjustments am I going to have to make? This gives you a month to, to figure some of those things out in advance so you can hit the ground, you know, you know, do a better job of hitting the ground running next year. So it, it, it's a fascinating idea. I'm very curious to see how this comes off. And I hadn't really thought about the corollary that it's opening up spots down below. So some of your draft guys and some of your younger players can also move up a level and, and get a, a more advanced experience at the end of this year. I, I really like it a lot. Excellent stuff. All right. We're going to close up as we always do with our mailbag. Uh, and this one comes from at John T187827. I hope that wasn't like the last digits of his credit card or social, social security, security number. number. Yeah, I'm going to try um, that right now and uh, see what I can little, order when we're done. Yeah, we don't want to, right, we don't <laughs> want to be accused of helping some identity fraud. But John T writes in, and we, we brought this up. We were talking about the Guardian system. And uh, you mentioned Tanner Bybee. Is he close to your top 100? I feel like he's better than fat already and that's brandon fat i don't know why you got to disparage another team's pitcher um but i think he's trying to compare uh pitching prospects and it, you know tanner bybee number eight on the guardians system brandon fat is number four he is in the top 100 he's currently in triple a we don't need to break down brandon fat i don't think but <laughs> tanner bybee is, is a guy that you know when we were doing our top 100, he definitely came up. Uh, he's had uh, what has been an absolutely fantastic first full season, uh, fifth rounder, uh, you know, from last year's draft. Uh, you know, this is your organization, so I'll, you know, I'll let you sort of do the, the heavy lift here. But he's definitely, I'll start by saying he's definitely on our top 100 radar. Yeah, he, he is. And, and it's funny. So, yeah, we talked earlier in the show about how the Guardians do this fantastic job of taking guys, especially guys who are polished college pitchers, and helping them improve their stuff. You know, and Shane Bieber is the prime example. And Bybee was kind of classic example of that mold. Fifth round pick last year out of Cal State Fullerton, 
He uh, was the number one starter for the Titans his last two years of college. And it was it was strikes over stuff. I mean, you did you had Bybee in the draft. I don't remember where we had him ranked on our top 250, Jonathan. But like he was a strikes guy with kind of ordinary stuff. OK. Um, and then, you know, like they did with a lot of their guys who had pitched a lot last year coming off of a covid year. where not any, not really anybody pitched a lot. The, the Indian, the, the Guardian, up oh, almost. I, I incurred the fine there. The Guardians <laughs> did not you almost made it to the end. Of the I don't. Podcast. I don't know. If I said all. I don't know if I said all three syllables. So maybe we'll I survived. Seventeen, them. seventeen, five is what yeah. you owe for that one. Okay. So the, anyway, the Guardians, with a lot of their college pitchers out of last year's draft, just were like, we're not even going to have them make their pro debuts this year. So Bobby makes his pro debut this year, and he goes straight to high A, and he tears it up. Two five nine ERA. 59 innings, 86 strikeouts, only 13 walks, high A hitters hit 233 against him. So they jump him up to double A where they've had this loaded prospect rotation. Eight starts in double A. He's got a 144 ERA, leagues hitting 200 off him, six to one strikeout to walk ratio. And, and beyond the performance, the stuff's just gotten a lot better. I mean, he was 90-93, topping out at 95 at Fullerton, kind of a fringy fastball. Now he's 93-97, hitting 99. He's, sweep, he's got a sweeping slider that's gotten a lot harder. It's mid-80s now. It's got a lot of horizontal action. Looks like it's going to be a plus pitch. His, his curveball's a little harder now. It's upper 70s. It's got good depth. He's got feel for a fading changeup, throw guys off balance. Uh, so, I mean, he's got, you know, four you know, pretty good pitches. He's still throwing a ton of strikes. <laughs> it's pretty impressive how, how far he's come in, in, in really a year. Yeah, he was 162 on our draft list in 2021. Uh, and, and Jonathan, I'm going to give you kudos for that since you, since you you spearhead our 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 Western draft coverage. He went 156th in the draft, so you had him you had him placed just perfectly. There's something about lucky better than good to say there, but sure, thank you. Um, and you know, looking at his grade, the you know the his scouting grades. He is a full grade higher with that fastball, a half grade higher with the slider. Uh, and my guess is by the time you get to say whenever he gets to the big leagues, that slider might be a 60 instead of a 55. Um, this is this is the Shane Bieber playbook in, in so many ways. Um, as a guy who was a pitchability guy, kind of under the radar, but really good from a, a – you know, California program. Uh, Bieber was, you know, from Santa Barbara, who just like knew how to teach guys how to pitch. And then the thing that I think is interesting with Bybee, like it was with Bieber, is that they, their stuff got better, but they didn't lose any of that feel for pitching. And that's what's made him such an, an intriguing guy. I'm very excited to see what he does next because he's probably going to reach the big leagues if and when they need him sometime next year. You may need to change that. That ETA from 2024 to 2023, John, I'm just saying. I, I thought I had changed it. I, I yeah. should change that. Yeah. So, so uh, anyway, I think uh, that's going to wrap things up for, for us. Uh, our thanks to Matt Blood, the Orioles Farm Director, for joining us today. Don't forget, as always, to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, Leave us a rating and a review. If you're not enjoying the show, we don't want to hear from you. I'm just kidding. You let us know. We always want to get better. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next week.